New Hope Center's uh, fall annual banquet, and uh, it is our privilege and a pleasure to, in my, my, my pleasure to introduce you to Karen Class, the executive director of New Hope. She's going to share with us uh, some exciting things that God is doing uh, in and through their ministry. So, uh, Karen, thank you so much for being here. back at Highland Hills. Um, for those of you is it on now? How about now? No? Check, check. Might have to get right in the We'll start over. <laughs> good morning. It's good to be back here. For those of you um, that we have not had the privilege of meeting, I want you to know that Highland Hills holds a very special place in the life of my family and in our hearts. My husband, Jerry, was actually ordained here as a deacon. Um, our daughter was raised here and grew up through the children's programs and the youth department. I did just about everything that needed to be done here. Um, so it like I said, this is a very special place for us. So it's an honor and a privilege to be back here today and to share a little bit about New Hope Center. Hope, it's a small word with a huge impact. It is an optimistic state of mind with an expectation for a positive future. And at New Hope Center, a hope is shared every time a client walks through our doors. We are a faith-based, pro-life pregnancy resource center for those facing unplanned pregnancies, which began 30 years ago as a ministry of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church. And we have provided the life-saving hope, help, and healing to almost 13,000 mothers and fathers and celebrated birthdays for more than 1,600 babies, including several sets of twins and triplets. We now have four locations and two are equipped with ultrasound machines. John Piper said, darkness comes, the future looks blank, the temptation to quit is huge, and you will argue with yourself that there is no way forward. That's exactly how the majority of our abortion-determined clients come to us. In the midst of a season of darkness, feeling scared, desperate, alone, broken, and completely hopeless. They are teenagers with no place to turn who are ter too terrified to tell their parents that they're pregnant. College students convinced that having a baby will destroy their life's plans. Sometimes it's drug addicts who don't even know what they need. But the most heartbreaking ones to me are the mothers that are already struggling to feed their family and they can't imagine how in the world they can afford another mouth to feed just like Shannon, who you met on our video. She was a recent client. Those, to me, are just incredibly heartbreaking when you're choosing one child over the rest of your children. Our clients come from all walks of life. Some have never darkened the doors of a church. Some have grown up in a church, and maybe their families are in the ministry. But their backgrounds don't matter to us. What matters is their future because we can't fix their past, but we're able to equip them with the tools to create a hopeful future. With life-saving and family-strengthening hope, in a loving, compassionate, non-judgmental way, we educate, equip, encourage, and empower them to become successful parents 
or develop and walk through them, walk with them through an adoption plan. If we have learned anything while helping our clients, it's that hope truly can change everything. We begin turning their fears into hope with our services, and all of our services are free. They're confidential. We offer pregnancy tests, mentoring, and ultrasounds. Ultrasounds are a vital tool for saving babies. We like to call our ultrasound rooms our miracle rooms because that's where we have watched mother after mother choose life for their child after seeing their baby on the ultrasound screen. Last year, 90% of abortion-minded and vulnerable mothers chose life for their babies after their ultrasound at New Hope Center. We're pretty proud of that statistic. Like Amber, a frightened and desperate high school student and her mother who came to New Hope Center when she found herself pregnant after being raped by a family friend. Uh, it was actually one of her father's best friends. She did not want to have an abortion, but her father was insisting that she have one, and he controlled their family, and whatever he wanted, he got. And to make matters worse, her dad wasn't so sure he believed that his friend raped her. So you can only imagine the depths of her hopelessness and fear during that time. Amber's mentor shared with her different adoption plans and parenting options. So an ultrasound was scheduled for the following week, and guess who came with her? Her dad. But he made it very clear that he wanted her to have an abortion, but he was willing to see her ultrasound. Upon seeing his grandchild on the ultrasound screen, he broke down in tears, he hugged her, and told her how sorry he was and that he loved her. He loved her. That was actually the first time in her life he had ever told her he loved her. He promised her then that they would love and help raise their grandchild. I can tell you there was not a dry eye in that miracle room, and Hope showed up in a mighty way through ultrasound that day. And Hope continued to grow as Amber became more and more empowered and equipped through our mentoring and parenting programs to successfully parent her son. But you know, it's not only mothers whose hearts are changed in the ultrasound room. Sometimes it's the fathers. Stephen, who came with his girlfriend, convinced that abortion was their only option, and she left the decision up to Stephen. And he didn't think there was much hope for a decent future for himself, let alone his baby. See, Stephen grew up in a very dysfunctional family. And when he saw his, however, when he saw his son during their ultrasound, he cried, realizing that abortion was no longer an option. But he had no idea what a healthy family looked like. Well, we had a job to do. We had to educate, equip, empower, and encourage him. He completed all of his parenting classes and enrolled in college with the hope of creating a better life for his son. He is now a college graduate. His girlfriend is now his wife. He has a good job, and they are raising their son in a loving, stable home. See, our parenting classes, like the ones that Stephen and Amber completed, are a very important part of the work that we do. And that is where family-strengthening hope occurs. We have an obligation to these babies and their parents when they choose life for their child. We can't just tell their mothers, good luck, send us a picture when they choose life. And actually the hardest part of our job is just the beginning with those 14 weeks of parenting classes and mentoring. And last year we provided 914 earn while you learn parenting classes. These are classes where parents earn new cribs and car seats as they complete their classes. They also receive diapers and other baby items that they would need. Lacey, a young mother, recently told us that being a first-time mother is very nerve-wracking. 
How many of you mothers have, can relate to that? I can. Um, however, without these classes and her mentors, she would have been lost. That's what successful parenting is, giving them the confidence and the skills to handle the nerve-wracking times. And Mark, a young father who just completed his classes, said, you know, I had a general idea of what to do, but these classes made me feel more confident in becoming a father and taught me a lot of things that I will live by. Teaching fathers how to be successful and godly fathers and husbands happens in our fatherhood programs. We are also in the process of developing a grandparents program geared to those grandparents who are currently raising their grandchildren. And more life-transforming and kingdom-building hope occurs through our Bible studies, which begin after their parenting classes have been completed. We also offer hope through help. Each of our four locations has a donation closet where we provide material needs, like maternity clothes, baby clothes, formula, and diapers. Every time a client comes in, they get diapers. And last year, we gave out 11,457 diapers. That's a whole lot of diapers. And some days are heartbreaking. You see, it's still hard for us when a mother chooses an abortion over life. And we grieve for what this world has lost in the life of that child. The number of abortions are staggering. Statistics tell us that one in four women have experienced an abortion before they were 45. In fact, yesterday in the United States, 2,361 abortions were performed. Since January 1st of this year in the United States, 66,300 abortions have occurred. The majority of these women are desperate, terrified, and feel as if they have no options. And abortions do not come without physical, emotional, and spiritual consequences. We know that. That's not always what the world tells them. For these women and men, our after-abortion care offers hope for restoration and healing from the scars and pain of a past abortion. We are a very busy ministry, but it also includes teaching absence programs in our local schools. And last year, we taught over 5,000 middle and high school students and their parents. But in the midst of our very busy life in ministry, this past summer, we felt God calling us to do more and to reach more. So we updated our digital presence, our outreach programs, including Google advertisements. We are now reaching more abortion-determined women and men where they are, on their phones, on their computers, doing online Google searching. If we can get them through our doors, we can save babies, we can strengthen families, and we can make a kingdom difference in our community. New Hope Center is only as strong as our supporters and partners in this ministry for life. Mark Lowry sings a song called Be the Miracle, and some of the lyrics to that song are, be the hands of God touching the hurting with loving arms as wide as the sky. Be the heart of grace with tender, compassionate eyes when a wounded soul needs a little hope. Be the miracle, and maybe, just maybe, that miracle starts with me. I am asking you to be a part of the miracle. Will you begin by praying for New Hope Center? Will you share your time, your talents? This is a great place for you to make a difference in just two to three hours a week. And we also need your financial support. 
Today kicks off our baby bottle campaign, and we're so excited that you're partnering with us in this campaign. Please pick up a baby bottle or two. There's a bunch on the table back here. Fill it with change, dollars, or checks, and return it by February 24th. Romans 15:13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Together, when we become the miracle and help or save one life, we are actually impacting many lives at the same time. When we touch one life, we are touching many. With the miracle of hope for today, hope for future generations, life-saving, life-transforming, kingdom-building hope, the hope that changes everything. Thank you. Thank you, Karen, for sharing with us so, so many awesome things happening at New Hope. And we're so glad that we can present that to you today, that we can, we can share the great things that are going on, not just uh, pregnancy tests, not just parenting classes, not just fatherhood classes, not just um, all, of those, all of those things. Man, there are so many things that you guys do. And so we as Highland Hills, we want to come alongside you and we want to say, hey, we want to help with that. Um, you know, a lot of us, you know, maybe have no ideas about how to get involved, how to help with that. And so uh, after the service today, Karen is going to be back there at the table. There are so many resources back there. Uh, go back. Uh, if you have questions, you know, she'll be back there to answer those. If, uh, if there are things that you want to say, hey, I want to volunteer or, hey, I want to get involved in, in this area or in this area, you know, she will be back there to discuss with you. And uh, there is a table back there. This here is a baby bottle, and, uh, and this is what we are, are committing to as a church, is that uh, we will take spare change, um, and we won't throw it in the, the cup holder uh, if you're in my car. Um, we're not going to put it, you know, uh, just sometimes people just toss out change, actually. Um, but we're going to put it in a baby bottle, and uh, we're going to return it. Um, and uh, this baby bottle here says, God's gift. Um, and, uh, and so this, uh, believe it or not, uh, churches, people just like you partnering with this ministry, uh, will fill these with, with coins, with, with cash, with checks. Uh, if, if you're there into online giving, there's actually a QR code right here. <laughs> um, but, uh, these will make a, an incredible difference in Northern Kentucky. I know that they have a location in Covington, in Crestview, uh, in Alexandria and in Falmouth. Um, and so uh, they are looking, at, hey, how can we expand our ministries in the future? So, Karen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we want to pray for, for you and, and the ministry and, the, and, and things that God is doing. Um, so will you guys pray with me? God, we thank you so much for Karen, and we thank you for the lives that are impacted through this ministry. God, we know that we are, uh, that we are called to serve that we are equipped to do so by your spirit. And God, we, we seek you and we seek your will. And God, we, we give thanks for Karen and, and the, the volunteers and the staff at New Hope Center. We thank you for the difference that they're making in the world today. And God, we pray that, uh, that they would be blessed, that Others, uh, abortion-vulnerable men and women, would be blessed through their ministry. 
that lives might be saved, that lives might be transformed. God, we see you at work here. And so we want to, to come alongside and say, yes, we will. We will join with you in that. And so, God, we, we give you thanks. We ask for uh, the, the rest of our time together today, that our service, our, you know, our, our praise, our worship would be pleasing to you. Uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Karen. Awesome. So for the last uh, couple weeks, we've been in this series called The Year of Our Lord. And see, it's 2019, Anno Domini, The Year of Our Lord. And so we as individuals... We as individuals, we as Highland Hills Church, we as the people of God are going to put our money where our mouth is. Uh, and so we are declaring it to be so, the year of our Lord. We're going to take this year and we're going to place it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're going to take our lives, our hopes, our dreams, our choices, our relationships, you name it, and we're going to place it under the authority of God. See, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the, the spirit that God has given us. The spirit that God has placed inside of us, all those who belong to him, all those who have been adopted and call themselves sons and daughters of God have been given this gift, the gift in the form of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says in Ephesians, he says this, he says, when you believed, you were marked with him, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so this Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer gives us many things. But one thing it does not do and should not do is make us timid, right? We live lives of boldness. We are called to be bold. Second uh, Timothy, right, 1-7 says, The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And so we said a, a couple weeks ago, I know we weren't here last week, but a couple weeks ago that the Spirit empowers us to do even greater things. Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he's, he's, he's telling them, man, you know, like I'm doing great things, but you're going to do even greater things than this. And so we as children of God who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit have the power of God, the love of God, the self-discipline of God at our very fingertips. We have to ask this question. What does God want to do? What would God have us do? What does God want to accomplish in and through us this year? If you have your Bible with you, I'd, I'd like to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke uh, you'll find Luke in the New Testament right after Matthew and Mark. And, uh, and so we're going to, if you get to Acts and Romans, you're going you're gonna to go too far there. But uh, we're going to Luke chapter 4. If you have a smartphone, you can find all of our scripture and uh, the references from today, the notes from today, and the Version Bible app. Just look for us under the events tab there. So we're going to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 14. Please follow along as I read the word of God aloud here. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. 
he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. So Jesus is in Nazareth, and he heads to the synagogue like he would do regularly. Synagogues didn't really exist prior to the Babylonian captivity. Obviously, we understand that there is a temple in Jerusalem, but not everybody lived in Jerusalem, especially during the captivity where there are exiles. And so they have these synagogues in towns where people could come together and worship. The usual order of service for these gatherings at the synagogue would include uh, an opening prayer, and then a reading from the law, the Torah, then a reading from the prophets, from one of the prophets, and then a sermon would be given by the rabbi or a learned visitor. Jesus is from Nazareth. This is his hometown synagogue. And so playing the role of the learned visitor today is Jesus. He's going to read and teach. And so he is handed the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. What are the odds? It's not like Jesus walks in and he, he shuffles around. <laughs> he's looking, he's looking. Uh, let's see here. First uh, Samuel, nope, nope, okay. Uh, you know, uh, Ezekiel, nah, numbers, definitely not. <laughs> Isaiah, I could do Isaiah. Uh, no, no, it, it's all the word of God and it's all important. Uh, but but here's, here's what's even more important is that he is the word of God. Remember John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah, that's him. And so the Word in the flesh is handed, the Word in the text, and it's the prophet Isaiah. Jesus looks at the scroll. This is going to be fun. He finds Isaiah 61 and starts to read about the one who is to come. I can only imagine the excitement the anticipation, wait for it, wait for it. He rolls up the scroll. He hands it back. He sits down. That's what they teach sitting down. So he sits down, and he begins the sermon by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> I don't know what he says after that, but this is awesome, all right? Can't you just see it? Jesus begins, he's like, it's me. I'm the one he's talking about. I just read it. You just heard it. And look, here I am. The scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, they weren't exactly jacked up about that. If you read on, you know, you're going to see that, you know, he, he's actually driven out of town. How dare Joseph's son claim to be the Messiah. But today, I want to focus on the message 
Today I want to focus on the message that Jesus gives that day. Jesus reads, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is just a few lines, but this is a game changer. Christ declares who he is in this, but he also declares what he is here to do. Whether you are a Christian or not, most Americans are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But if you were to actually keep reading, John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God didn't want to condemn the world, but to save it. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, and what is he here to do? He's come to proclaim good news to the poor. Not just the financially poor, but the spiritually poor. He's talking good news, not just the people who are broke, but the people who are broken. The poor in spirit. We, we see that in Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. I got good news for you today. If you are broken in any way, in any way. If your finances are uh, beyond repair, if you're emotionally down and out, if you're broken, Jesus came not to condemn you, but to save you. Those who would have been condemned by society, those who would have been judged, those who would have been judged and cast out, Jesus says, I am here for you. I'm here for you. I mean, Jesus is not here to judge or condemn. That's why Jesus came. There will be a time for judgment, but that time is not now. Now is the time for salvation. And so he goes on to say, hey, I'm here to proclaim freedom. I'm here to proclaim freedom for those who are prisoners, again, both physically and spiritually. Those who are held captive in any way, those who are under spiritual oppression, those who are shackled by sin, those who are being held captive by lies, those who are prisoner to their circumstances, those who are enslaved by destructive habits and addictions, Jesus came to set you free. He wants to rid you of the guilt and the shame that cripples you and sets you free. See, Jesus brings joy. It's the year of the Lord's favor. See, the year of the Lord's favor would come once every 50 years. Once every 50 years. It was called the year of Jubilee. And in the Jewish tradition, once every 50 years, all slaves and prisoners would be freed. All debts would be forgiven. And God's mercies would be celebrated. I know it's pretty wild, but, but you actually find it here in Leviticus 25. It says, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven. That's 49. Fast math for you right there. So that the seven Sabbath years amounted to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpets sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Conse consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. 
Do not sow and do not reap what grows or of itself or harvest the unintended, untended vines, for it is a jubilee and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. It's the year of jubilee. It's the year of jubilee. And so here's the beautiful thing. Jesus comes and he's like, surprise, it's the year of jubilee. It's the year of the Lord's favor. I'm here to proclaim that. I'm here to proclaim the good news that this is what my kingdom is like. In my kingdom, every year's a jubilee. In my kingdom, everybody gets free. In my kingdom, everybody's cup overflows. Everybody gets what they need. I know we could spend so much time on this, but there are just a couple things that I want us to see today. I want to point out during the rest of our time, and the first one is this. Jesus has given us this message to share with the world. This, this beautiful proclamation is passed on to us. We have experienced it personally, and now we have a responsibility to spread this good news. And so we proclaim because we have been chosen to do good works. We proclaim because we've been chosen. We were once poor. We were once oppressed. We were once blind to our own state, imprisoned by sin. You name it, but we have been set free. We used to be dead, and now we are alive. We used to be in darkness, and now we're in light. And so we're supposed to live as people in the light. We, are, we had an identity once, an identity, but now we have a new identity. Everything has changed, and all of this didn't happen for us because we were so great but because our God is so great. God didn't choose us because of our good works. He didn't choose to love us, accept us, die for us, forgive us because of what we have done. I mean, it wasn't like he looked at me and he looked at you and was like, well, I, I guess I got to let him into heaven now. Uh, they just, they have, they're really, they really up the bar this year. Uh, no, like, I mean, it, they've done so much. No, no, he, he doesn't, he's not impressed by that. I, he didn't look at me like, Ben has done so much. He's such a good person. I mean, look what he's currently involved in. I mean, he's definitely earned it. There is not, there is not an application process for salvation. He's not impressed by anyone's spiritual resume because he doesn't choose us because we are currently doing good works or because we have done good works. We are chosen by God, period. We are chosen by God, period. It's the end of the story. He chooses to love us. And how we respond to that love, how we respond to that love, what does it look like? It looks like good works. That is our response. Paul writes in Ephesians, he says this, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were marked by the Spirit, just as one would be marked with oil. One would be marked with oil on the outside to show what's happening on the inside. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit and equipped by the Word of God for every good work. God wants us to share the good news to those who need to hear it. Forget about preaching to the choir. What would it look like? 
What would it look like if we spent our days, our weeks, our, our months, our years on this earth looking, looking for those who are oppressed, searching for those who are poor and imprisoned, caring deeply for those who need freedom? I mean, Jesus says it's not the healthy who need a doctor. There are people who feel forgotten, unloved, unwanted, condemned, beyond redemption. And we have the good news to make it not so. Just imagine. Just imagine if we were as passionate as Christ about seeking and saving the lost. My guess is we wouldn't waste another moment. I know we've talked about this before, but Christ has passed this ministry on to us. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We proclaim because we have been chosen to do good works. We have an identity. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. But here's the other part of that. Those to whom we proclaim have an identity also. Their identity may not be found in Christ yet. But they are known by God. They are known by God. They are not unknown by him, but rather he knows them. And he loves them. So it is for the glory of God and for the sake of others that we proclaim this good news to them. Who will tell them? Who will tell them that they are known and loved? Who will tell them that God knows their name and that they have value? They need to hear it. Heck, we ourselves need to hear it. Don't we? So we proclaim because they matter to God. We proclaim because they matter to God. One of the values of this church is that we say that people matter. Because they matter to God, they matter to us. And so how we live our lives is a reflection of what we believe. How we live our lives is a reflection of what we believe. So why should we care about the hurting and wounded? Because they matter to God. Why should we care about those who are caught up in drugs and alcohol? Because they matter to God. Why should we care about social injustice or racism? Because people matter to God. Why should we care about immigrants? Because they matter to God. Why should we care about unborn babies? Because they matter to God. They matter to God, and so they matter to us. Why care about slavery around the world? Because there are people around the world who matter a great deal to God. They matter a great deal. And even those who persecute us, even our enemies, we are called to bless them because they matter to God. 
They matter to God, and so they matter to us. We believe in the sanctity of human life. That begins at conception. We are pro-life from conception until death. Our God loves life, every life. It's why he came, so that we would have life and have it to the full. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. There is no life apart from God. We use this phrase, imago Dei. Imago Dei, it's the Latin phrase, it means the image of God. If we go back to Genesis, we see that man and woman were made in the image of God. We as Christians believe that we as humankind are born in the image of God. And because of that, each of us, Christian or not, American or not, no matter where we are in the world, each of us, each person in the whole wide world, from the best to the worst, from the poorest to the richest, the least put together person, and the one who has it all together, we all have dignity. We all have value. We all have worth. This isn't because of anything that we have done, but because our creator, God himself, has bestowed it upon us. I'm not an art guy. I mean, I like looking at nice pictures. I see something and I'm like, that's pretty. I can say that I like shapes and colors. I'm not an art critic or an art collector. And so it blows my mind when some paintings, some sculptures, some works of art are sold at auction for millions of dollars. I look at something and I'm like, well, that's a collection of junk. Somebody else is like, it's abstract. Okay. (laughs) Every once in a while you hear about some obscure work by Rembrandt or Picasso. And it's going for a ton of money. And I'm like, I wouldn't pay for that. But some people would. Some people would pay for that. Because they recognize the value. It was done by a famous artist. It's a unique work. It's one of a kind. And it has great worth because of the one who created it. It's the same way with people. We as humans have all sorts of ways to label and categorize and sometimes, quite frankly, dehumanize others. But if we could recognize what we're looking at, if we could just recognize it, That's not junk. That's not. (laughs) That's a big deal. We would see another person and we would see that this is a masterpiece. 
carefully and uniquely made by the greatest artist of all time. That God has handcrafted each person and made them in his image. Each heart, each mind, each soul deserving of love and respect. And we get the opportunity to proclaim that. We get the opportunity to shout out, don't you know who you're talking to? This person was made by God. We get the ability to remind those who feel worthless that they have infinite worth. Because Jesus Christ was willing to pay the price to buy them back. Christ was sacrificed once for all for the whole world so that no masterpiece would be lost. That no work of art would be burned in the fire. And God says to all of humanity, you're mine. I made you. I love you. And I want you back that I may have all of you and you might have all of me that we might cherish one another for eternity. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the message we have been given. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we proclaim through our words and our actions that there is freedom and hope and love found in God. We're living proof of that. And so for each of us, brothers and sisters, we boldly proclaim, we boldly proclaim for the sake of anyone who might hear it, that they are known and that they are loved by God. May we show them by our actions that as an image bearer of God, they hold infinite value. And may lives be transformed in this, the year of our Lord, with all glory going to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks. We, we are so thankful, God, that you see us and you know us. Each person in this room is made in your image. Known by you, loved by you. Everyone who is listening online is cared for deeply by you. Every hair on the head. God, we, we recognize, we recognize that everyone who has not heard this, everyone who is not here today, it is for their sake that we proclaim. We proclaim, God, because you want us to. You have called us to do so. If we do nothing else, God, we are to do this. God is, is for your glory and for the sake of others that we live out this calling. God, may we proclaim the life that we have in you. May we proclaim the freedom that we have in you. May we proclaim the hope that is found in you and you alone. It's not anywhere else but you, God.
So God, I pray that we would live lives of boldness. As people, as hearts and souls who have been made alive in Christ, that we would live that out by the power of your spirit to the glory of God the Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now we're going to have a time of response. I'd like to invite you to stand as the worship team leads us in a song. The altar is open for prayer. Let's all stand and respond together.